Amen. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Isn't God good? Give him a big hand, man. He, he is well deserving of that. Glad you're here today. Welcome to the second service. We've already had one service here, and it was pretty good. I think this one's going to be great. What do you think? All right, you ready? Awesome. I've got a lot to say, and so I'm just going to jump right into it, all right? We're going to be in Esther chapter 4 today. Really, we're going to be in the whole book of Esther. I'm going to give a synopsis of what's happening in this, this little book of the Bible known as Esther. But our key verse is chapter 4, verse number 14, and I've got it up here on the screen for you, okay? Uh, Mordecai, who I'm calling Uncle Mordecai, speaks to his young cousin that he has raised, who is now the queen of Persia, Esther, and he says this to her in Esther 4.14. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Read that out loud with me. Let's read it together. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I believe every one of us was placed on planet earth to do something special for God. He created you, he saved you, he's gifted you for a specific purpose. He has placed you wherever you are, whatever family you're in, wherever you go to school, wherever you may work, in the neighborhood that you're in, and specifically he has placed us in this family of faith at Kavanaugh Church for such a time as this. Because he has something awesome that he wants to do in you and through you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word and help us, dear Lord, as we look at this great book of Esther. May the words on the pages of Scripture come alive to us today. May we feel as if we were there when these events occurred. And may the Holy Spirit speak them into our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all the people said... Amen. This is an awesome little story, the book of Esther and the story of Esther. Uh, there, are, there are five key players are cast in the story that I want to identify at the beginning. And then I'm just going to tell you what's happening throughout the book. And we're going to make an application of the book of Esther to where we are as a church today. So there's five people I want you to get to get to know this morning. The first is King Xerxes. Uh, King Xerxes was impressive he was powerful. He was an egotistical ruler of probably the largest kingdom maybe forever. Uh, he, he was ruler over 127 provinces, and he was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And when you thought of the name King Xerxes, you said, wow. Because let me tell you, this guy was a wow guy. He was a powerful man. So what do we say about King Xerxes? You say it. Wow, wow, he really was, he was a powerful guy. I've got another name for him, I call him King Jerxes. <laughs> because let me tell you, he, he, I think the power went to his head, and he really was a jerk. We're going to see that in the very first chapter. He had this huge harem of women, uh, hundreds if not thousands of, of concubines, and I don't, you, I don't think he treated women very well, but that's just my opinion. He did have a queen. She was a very beautiful lady, and her name is the second person that we're going to learn about today. Her name is Queen Vashti. Uh, when you hear Queen Vashti's name, you want to say, oh no. oh, no. So say that with me right now. One, two, three. Oh, no. Oh, no. 
because something really bad happens to Queen Vashti. I, I don't think she brought it on herself. Uh, she was a, a very kind person, very beautiful person, but something happened in chapter 1, and she was, she was debunked. She was thrown out of the kingdom, never had the privilege of going back into the presence of the king. Her royal crown was taken away and her royal position. So when we hear Queen Vashti, we say, Oh, no. That leads us to the third character we want to learn about today. Uh, the next queen had a cousin older than her, uh, a man by the name of Mordecai. So I'm calling him Uncle Mordecai. And I've got one word to describe Uncle Mordecai. It is the word? Awesome. awesome. He was one awesome dude. Uh, he was, it was just a great man, a good man, a man full of integrity. Here's the thing about Mordecai. Look at me. Let me want to tell you this. I'm losing some of you. Look at me. Mordecai always did what was right. I mean, he just did the right thing all the time. Wouldn't that be great if, if all of us that we know always did the I want to be that guy. I want to be awesome like Mordecai and always doing the right thing. He was also a great family man, and he was very loyal as a citizen of the country, even though he wasn't native from there. Uh, he had lived there his whole life, and he was a very loyal man. So Uncle Mordecai is... Awesome, awesome, awesome man. He had this young cousin that he actually took in and raised. Uh, his uncle and aunt passed away, and uh, the cousin that he brought in was this beautiful young lady by the name of Esther. And when you hear the name Esther, you want to say, yay. yay! She's the heroine of the story. Everything pivots on Esther and the decisions that she made in her life. And she really not only saved her and Uncle Mordecai, she saved all the Jews who lived in the kingdom of Persia. So she was a great young lady. When we hear her name, we want to say, yay. yay. She was beautiful, good looking. I mean, the Bible points that out. In fact, one translation says she was not only beautiful in the face, she had a lovely figure, all right? So on the outside, she was just knocked down gorgeous. I mean, just knock you dead gorgeous girl. Pausing, pausing. But even more than that, she was beautiful on the inside. Okay? Now, I told the first service, I shouldn't repeat this, second service. It didn't go over well in first service. I should learn, right? But when I was a little boy growing up, my dad would give me tidbits of, of knowledge. He'd just throw things out there all the time, you know, things that uh, you really, I, he probably shouldn't have been telling me. But I can remember him when I was a little kid, he'd say, Son, they say beauty is skin deep, but I want you to know ugly goes all the way to the bone. <laughs> he was talking about girls, you know, and so uh, thanks for that, Dad. I'll never forget that. That was, a, that was a treasure. I've carried that one in my wallet with me because that's a, that's a good one. Here's, here's what I want you to know about Esther as we develop this story. She was not only beautiful on the outside, she was beautiful on the inside. She, too, was a woman of integrity. Well, why wouldn't she be? She was raised by Uncle Mordecai, who was a man of integrity. And she did the right thing as well. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful young lady, Miss Esther. Now, there's one other guy. There's five of them. Here he is, Haman, the Agagite. Now, say it like you mean it, because he was a bad guy. Boo, his, man. I mean, just the name right there, he's a dark villain, isn't he? Haman the Agagite. Power hungry. That's what he was. 
power hungry. Uh, I have another name for him or word to describe him. He was a weasel. He really was. He weaseled his way into power and he hated the Jews. And he wanted to annihilate all of the Jews including Mordecai and Esther. Now, here's the story. You ready for the story? We know the five cast members. Let me tell you the story very quickly, and I'm not even going to tell you the whole story because your homework assignment is to go home and pick up where I leave off and read the rest of the story for yourself. But we're beginning in chapter 1. It says, verse 1, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. Again, very powerful man. And there came a time in the first few verses of this chapter that he wanted to celebrate the greatness of his kingdom. And so he threw this huge party and invited all of the people in the kingdom who were anybody, including all the military officers and those in his military. And they partied in the capital city of Susha for 180 days. They celebrated a feast. Now, those of you who can do math pretty quick, tell me, how many months is 180 days? Six months. Can you imagine partying for six months? Huh? <laughs> now, some of you can because you, you're, that's what you do. You party all the time, man. So for 100 and that's a great response. I didn't have that in the first service. That, none of those people party like that, that's for sure. 180 days they had this continual feast and party going on. And he ended the 180-day party with a seven-day party, a special feast for all the men in the capital of Susha. They came into the, the internal part of the, the king's uh, royal area, and there they partied for seven straight days. Every man in Susha had a golden goblet given to them by the king. And they were all different designs, all right? So everybody had their golden goblet. And here was the king's edict. He told his eunuchs, do not let the wine run dry. They can drink as much wine as they want. Continually fill their golden goblet. And so you know what this was? It was a seven-day drunk fest. They drank all they wanted to, and they were drunk as skunks by the end of seven days. And you know what? Have you ever been around people who get drunk and they're just, you know, they do crazy things. Nope. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they do crazy things. You know that, man. We were at a Ranger game years ago, and this guy, he was sitting behind us, and, and uh, he started drinking beer in the first inning. He was saying, go Rangers! Go Rangers! By the ninth inning, Go Rangers! Remember that guy? Yeah. You don't want me telling that story, do you? Seven days, drunk as skunks, King Xerxes called his eunuchs in and said, here's what I want to do for all these men. Go next door to the queen's palace. Because she was having a feast too with all the women. Go next door and get Queen Vashti. You tell that woman of mine to put on her finest gown and put the crown on her head. 
and her come over and prance in front of these men. I want to show my trophy wife off. And I want her to parade in front of all these men so that they can gaze upon and look at her beauty. That's why he was King Jerxes. Now, guys, can I tell you something? I have a trophy wife. I can't believe that Angie actually married me 30-plus years ago. You know, I scored big time, didn't I? I think my wife is beautiful, okay? But you know what? There is no way in the world I would allow or even ask my wife to prance herself in front of hundreds of men who've been drinking for seven days. Are you with me, guys? I respect her much more than that. But that's exactly what King Xerxes did. You tell her to come over here and parade in front of all these men. Well, maybe I'm reading this different than you, but, but I'm, I'm putting the credit on Queen Vashti. She said, no way. <laughs> I'm not about to do that. I am not going to degrade myself and fall into that. No way. I'm not coming. No well, that ticked the king off. In fact, the Bible says, King James Version, he was furious. He was irate because no one told the king no. But Vashti just did. And so he called his wise men together. And there was one wise guy amongst the wise men who gave this advice. King, you can't put up with this. You're going to have to do something to her because here's the problem. If the women of this kingdom find out that the queen refuses to do what the king says, we're going to have anarchy in every home. <laughs> Ladies, aren't you glad you didn't live back then? Huh? And so he took the advice of this one wise guy, and so what did he do? He banished Queen Vashti from the kingdom. He took her crown away, and he no longer allowed her to be the queen nor come into his presence. And he also sent an edict throughout the kingdom, 127 provinces, and says, this is what happens to the woman who doesn't listen to her husband. But that's a whole other sermon. And we're not going there. You know what? I thank God for Queen Vashti and her refusal to degrade herself. Amen? Bible says this, chapter 2. After the king sobered up, <laughs> after the king sobered up, he realized what he had done. He realized the mistake he had made. And he just kicked out of his kingdom his queen, one of, if not the most beautiful ladies in the kingdom. What have I done? So he called his wise men back together. What should I do now? And they came up with this advice. One said, tell you what we're going to do for you, king. We're going to roam the countryside of all 127 provinces, and we are going to pick the most beautiful virgins who are out there, and we're going to bring them back to the capital city of Susha. We will place these young virgins into your harem, and we are going to treat them for an entire year giving them beauty spas. 
They're going to receive all the beauty ointment and all the beauty perfume and all the right kind of food that's going to bring out their natural beauty. And after these women have experienced one year of this beauty spa, we're going to bring them one by one into your bedchambers. You will spend a night with each one of these girls and you can handpick your next queen. And you know what King Xerxes did, don't you? Sounds like a great idea to me. <laughs> and that is exactly what they did. As they combed through the kingdom, they found a young girl that was more beautiful than anyone else. She was a Jew. They didn't know that about her. Her parents had died. Her older cousin Mordecai had taken her in and loved her as his own. When she went to the harem, he told her, he said, don't tell them you are a Jew and I'll communicate with you through eunuchs and we'll send messages back and forth. And so Esther became a part of that harem. The Bible said God's hand was on her. She found favor with the chief of the eunuchs, a guy by the name of Haggai. And he took her under his own care. He provided seven maidens to serve her. He gave her the best of the food. He moved her to the head of the harem. And for one year, she received these special beauty treatments, oils and perfumes. And at the end of the time, she went before the king. And she was drop-dead gorgeous. Beautiful on the inside, Beautiful on the outside. And the Bible says that King Xerxes fell head over heels in love with Esther. And he placed the crown on her head. And she became the next queen. Now at the end of chapter 3, there's, there, there's this little story about at the party, the celebration of when Esther became the queen. Mordecai, who was at the king's gate, overheard two eunuchs planning an assassination of the king. And so he went and told Queen Esther about it. She went and told the king about it. He found it to be true, and he had these two men executed. And it was recorded in the history of the Medes and Persians that Mordecai saved the king's life. Now, you need to put that in your memory bank because when you go home and read the rest of the story, that is a key part to what happens at the end of the book. Chapter, chapter 4 goes on to tell us that, uh, that a man came into power by the name of Haman. Remember Haman, the Agagite? What do we say about him? Boo, Boo hiss. Power-hungry guy. He weaseled his way up to King Xerxes. King Xerxes found favor in this man, and he appointed him second in command in the kingdom. King Xerxes made a ruling. When Haman walks into a room, everyone should pay homage to Haman. You are to bow down before Haman. And everyone did that, except for Uncle Mordecai. Why? Because he was a Jew, and he knew better, and it was only his God that he bowed down and worshipped, and so he refused to pay homage to Haman the Agagite. So Haman got upset about it. He was mad about it. Uh, he was told the reason why, because Mordecai was a Jew, and Jews only worship God. And so Haman became so angry, he, he not only wanted to kill Mordecai, he wanted to do away with all the Jews. 
because none of them would worship him. And so he devised this plan. He, he cast lots. He picked a month of the year. He went before the king and he said, King, there's a group of people in your kingdom, the Jews. They don't follow our laws. They don't worship the same gods we worship. They don't deserve to be in our kingdom. So, King, what about this? I'll pay for them to be annihilated. And on March the 7th of next year, let's give all of our people the freedom to murder all of the Jews. I don't know why, but the king pulled off his signet ring and he gave it to Haman and said, turn it into law. And it became the law of the land. The Bible says at the end of chapter 3 that all of Susha was in turmoil because of this edict. Chapter 4 begins with Mordecai wearing sackcloth and ashes because he knows what's going to happen that next March. All of the Jews are going to be annihilated. And so he puts on sackcloth and ashes. He's in the courtyard. He's wailing and crying out to God. Someone runs and tells his young cousin, uh, Esther, what Mordecai is doing. She sends word back to him with a change of clothing. Uh, Mordecai, stop wailing and, and change clothes and put on regular clothes. Don't, don't be doing that in the courtyard. And so Mordecai sends word through a eunuch back to Queen Esther. Here's the reason I'm wailing and mourning. Haman has put into law that all of the Jews are going to be annihilated. All of your brothers and sisters on March the 7th next year are going to be killed. I'm going to die, and so are you. So Queen Esther, would you please go before the king and beg for our salvation? Well, she sent word back to Mordecai. Mordecai, you know the law of the land. Uh, no one can just walk into the presence of the king. Unless he stretches out his gold scepter, if you go into the presence of the king and he doesn't want you there, you're dead. And the king hasn't called for me in 30 days. So I really don't know how he's feeling about me right now, but if I go in there, I could be killed. And he sent word back to her, you're going to die anyway. So you might as well do it. In fact, can I just read for you the, the exact verbiage that comes out of the New King James Version? Here's what Mordecai told her. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Now having heard the story up to this point, does that key verse make more sense to you now? I mean, maybe Esther, maybe God made you as beautiful as you are on the inside and outside for a reason. Maybe God had you in mind. Maybe God handpicked you. Maybe it's no coincidence that your mama and daddy died and I'm the one who raised you and taught you the values of a, a Judeo home. Maybe it's all in God's plan that Queen Vashti was banished from the, the throne. Maybe it's all in God's plan that you were chosen amongst hundreds of other beautiful young women 
Maybe you were placed on that throne for a specific event. And this is it. This is the whole reason you're here. She sent word back to her uncle Mordecai and said, Okay, I'll do it. I'll go in and talk to him. If I perish, I perish. But I'm going. However, I'm going to ask you to do something, Uncle Mordecai, and I want you to note this down, church. Listen to this. She said, would you gather all the Jews? I'm going to bring that to the church. Would you gather the church together? And for three days, would you pray specifically for me? Would you not only pray for me, but pray for this meeting I'm going to have with the king? Pray that God give me the right words. Pray that God intervene. Would you fast and pray for three days? And then on the third day, I'm going in. Pretty great story, isn't it? Would you like to know how it ends? Go home and read it. Go home and read it. It's a great story. I'll just give you a little preview. It is amazing. Gail, isn't it? You've studied this. It's amazing how God, how God uses people and events and weaves things together for such a time as this. And it is amazing in this story how God brings salvation, not only to Mordecai and to Esther, but to all the Jews who are living in the, the Medes and Persian Empire through this young lady and her decision to do what was right. For such a time as this. You know, it got me, got me to thinking about you and about me. And guys, I'd, I'd love to just sit down with you individually right now, just me and you. Dave, just me and you. And tell you, you know what, buddy? I know that God made you for such a time as this. God made you to do something specific in his kingdom. He gifted you to do something great for him. Girl, God made you specific to do something for him for such a time as this. Brian, God made you specific to do something for him for such a time as this. Stacy, Marcia, God made us all specific for such a time as this. Are we going to say yes? I'll be used by you. I'll, I'll, I'll be like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know if he's going to hold out the gold scepter to me or not. I, I might perish, but Lord, if you're asking me to do something for you, my answer is yes. Because I believe you made me for such a time as this. All of you, every one of you, whether it's in your home or your school or the place you work or in your neighborhood, you were placed there for such a time as this. And church, we're the same way. The Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church, March the 3rd, 2019. Those of you who are here, you are here for such a time as this. God has brought us from wherever we came from, whatever our past is, to this point in time for such a time as this. That's the way God works, though. You know, uh, Wednesday night was a historic night in the life of our church. We had our annual business meeting. 
Now, not everybody was here Wednesday night. Not everybody comes. Business meeting, very few people come, okay? I understand that. But this was a different meeting that we had. Not only did we adopt a, a, a $1,599,000 budget, which is a historic budget for Kavanaugh Church, and not only did we conduct other business, we reaffirmed a decision that we made back in 2011. And it received a rounding vote of applause as people stood up and affirmed and reaffirmed, yes, we are here for such a time as this. And we are going to be used just like others before us were used. What do I mean by that? Well, i got a little presentation I want to make to you. Am I boring you? This boring? Uh, let me tell you the history of Kavanaugh Church very quickly. If you were here Wednesday night, you saw some of these pictures. I'm, I'm going to throw a few new ones back up uh, that you haven't seen. This church started actually back in November of 1962. A preacher by the name of uh, Brother Shipley lived on the south side of uh, Fort Smith, and he decided that, you know what, we need a, a free will Baptist witness on the south side of town. And so he and a few other people started meeting in his home, and that was in November of 1962. In March of 1963, the Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church was born. There were 32 charter members that started this particular church. And soon thereafter, in 1963, they bought a little piece of ground on Holly Street, right off of Cavanaugh Road. So if you leave our building and go out and turn uh, west on Cavanaugh Street, go down to Holly, turn left, and you'll see that little piece of ground that they bought. Uh, they broke ground on it. Now, I don't know any of these guys that are here or the ladies and kids behind them, but I do know the guy in the center. I know who he is. That's Brother Shipley, the founding pastor. They broke ground. They built a building and... Uh, uh, it, it, was, it was a growing little congregation, all right? Now, I don't know any of these other guys. You know what? I'm thankful for them. Yeah. I'm thankful for them, for their vision, for their faith, for their fortitude, because they realized they were made for such a time as this back in 1963. So let's give them a big round of applause. Thank you, guys. Next picture is going to show uh, the inside of the church after they built it. Uh, it was packed, all right? It was a little bitty tiny church, but I tell you what, it was packed with people. Uh, they were growing. They were winning people to Jesus, and uh, it was an exciting time. Uh, next picture. Throw that next picture up. That's the outside of the building. Building's still there. You turn down Holly Street to your left, you're going to see that same building still there. One more picture about that. Uh, this was in the early 70s. Um, here's the congregation out in front of the building, and uh, I've got to ask from this particular service, how many of you worshipped God at Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church when it was on Holly Street? Raise your hand if you were a part of that church. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, seven of you. Seven of you. That's amazing. I got my little pointer. Wednesday night I had a pointer and I couldn't work it. I love this one. But Double D, thanks for giving me this. I'm, 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 yeah, I don't know. I'm pointing right there. You see who I'm pointing at up there? Joey Butler, stand up. Joey Butler, stand up. Joey Butler has been a part of Kavanaugh Church longer than anybody else. He holds the record for years as being a member of Kavanaugh Church. Bob and Joanne started coming here a long, long time ago. And Joey, you were just a little bit of kid, man. 
And uh, that's, that's, you just keep living. You're going to be the oldest one, you know, amongst us. Been here longer than anybody. I love Joey, and I appreciate him. So there they were right there. That, that was the Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church on Holly Street. Uh, a couple of years later, in 1971, they had outgrown their building. They needed educational space. And so the minutes tell us that they built a, they voted to build a 34 by 70 educational building. They went to First Federal and borrowed $22,000 to build the building. And there it is right there, still standing today. You know, back in, in 1971, $22,000 was a lot of money. I tell you, $22,000 is a lot of money to me today. Yeah? And they didn't have the money, I know that. But thank God they realized that they were here for such a time as this, and they stepped out on faith and built that building. That's the second building Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church has built. In the early 1970s, probably 74, 75, they realized they were going to need more space, and so they came over here to Grinnell and 28th Street, and they bought four acres of land. Uh, when I came here in 1997, one of the first things Bob Butler told me, he said, Preach, when we bought this four acres of land, we thought to ourselves, what are we going to do with four acres? We'll never use all of this land. Well, they bought the land, and then in 1975, they, uh, they broke ground, and they built the very first building on this property which is now our gym. If you go through these doors, you'll end up in the gym. That's what the gym looked like uh, when they first built it. Uh, how many of you worshipped in that gym right there? Raise your hands if you... Man, there's quite a few. Keep them up just for a second because I find this interesting. I'm looking. Yeah, fantastic. More on this side than on this side. But how many of you were married in that room? All right, several of you, a bunch of you raising your hands. That's, that's pretty cool. Uh, I remember this room. Um, in the early 80s, I came here and preached for Brother Carl behind that pulpit. And what I remember were these white chairs. <laughs> Y'all remember the white chairs? Y'all remember the white chairs? And uh, just a, a side note, uh, when I came in the early 80s to preach a, a youth uh, revival, Brother Carl and, and, and Brother Bob asked Angie and I if we would come to Kavanaugh and be the youth pastor. Okay, this is in the early 80s. I just graduated from Bible college. And uh, I told Brother Carl, said, I'd, I'd love to come and be the youth pastor of Kavanaugh. In fact, I would have loved to have come and been the, pastor, the youth pastor of Kavanaugh. But God was calling me to seminary. And so I had to go to cemetery instead of coming to Kavanaugh. I, uh, I picked death over life, all right? But, but here's a cool side note that at least I think in my mind, had, had I said yes back in the early 80s and become your youth pastor, chances are pretty high that I would have never become your senior pastor in the late 90s. So I'm, I'm thankful to God for all of that. Well, that was, uh, that was in the mid-70s. Uh, the church continued to grow. Uh, they started a daycare, and they needed a, a building for the daycare. So in 1983, uh, the church broke ground to build building number four, uh, and that was the daycare building. I talked to Brother Austin on Wednesday. The, the minutes show that uh, they asked Brother Austin to, to oversee that building, so you were the building superintendent. And so I asked him Wednesday night, I said, Austin, w weren't you working? And he said, yeah, I worked at ABF at night. And at Kavanaugh was there during the day overseeing the building. I said, well, when did you sleep? And what did you tell me? He would get home from ABF at 2.30 in the morning. He would sleep for four hours, and then he would come here. And that went on for probably a year. Probably took you all about a year to build this building. Again, I said Wednesday night, I don't know if those people back in 1983 told you thank you, but Austin Rowe, thank you. 
Thank you, buddy. Here's the, can I just say this about Austin? I think Austin realized in 1983 that he was here for such a time as this. And you said yes. And God used you. And now that building that was the daycare building is where all our little kids learn about Jesus. It's Brother Johnny's hometown. It's Western Town back there. And right now today, Brother Johnny is teaching our kids the truth of the gospel because of men like you, Austin. Thank you, my friend. Well, 10 years later, 1993, uh, the church continued to grow, and so they built building number five. And I think I got a picture of the groundbreaking. There's Brother Carl, the pastor. Somebody asked me yesterday, and I'm just rambling. Can I just ramble for a second? I love, it. I love it when I start rambling like this. Somebody asked me yesterday about Kavanaugh Church and, and the way we were governed and how we did things. And, and I said, you know, they asked me about the, the, a pastor, if he was appointed. I said, no, congregation votes on their own pastor at our church. And, and I said, here's an interesting fact. Uh, in, the, in the last 49 years, Kavanaugh's only had two pastors. Brother Carl pastored this church for 28 years. I've been here 21 years. Can I tell you something, people? That I'm, I'm not, I'm not, this is no way of bragging or anything like that. That is remarkable. That in two years, this church has only, or in, in 49 years, this church has only had two pastors. You know what that says? You can, you can. That says something about the character and nature of this church. And I thank you for that. The guy with his back to us, Brother Bob Butler, he was chairman of our church board for, I don't know, 132 years, I think. Uh, Bob gave great leadership, and, and he was a part of, of all these buildings. The next picture is a pretty cool picture. Can you all figure out what that is? You all know what that is? That's the inside of this room when it was being built. And the reason I picked that picture is because I was in Pine Bluff during this time and uh, was coming through going to uh, Hillsdale, and I stopped here to have lunch with Brother Carl, and he brought me into this room. And I remember, I remember that. I remember the construction going on. It, it was about the same time that picture was, was taken of, of this church. And now you're in here worshiping. And God is blessed. I came in 1997. One year later, we built our sixth building, which is our office and educational building. And I have a picture of the construction of that uh, as it's looking out uh, from the corner about where you go in to, uh, to Brother Johnny's gym there. And uh, again, every time, every time there was a group of people who realized we're here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. You know, for such a time as this. And they stepped out on faith and they did something big for God. Isn't that great? Those are the people who have come before us at Kavanaugh Church. Could you give them a big hand? Everyone, 1963, 1971, 1975, 1983, 1993, 1998. There were a group of people here who said, you know what? We can do it. Let's do it. I want to take you back to 2011. It was February 23rd. We had our, our annual church business meeting. In 2011, you voted to do three things. Number one, you voted to put Riley Farm property up for sale. And it's been up for sale since 2011. There have been three, three different groups who have come pretty close to buying Riley Farm, but as of yet, it's not sold. I told the group Wednesday night, I have a theory as to why I think Riley Farm has not sold. Would you like to hear it? 
I didn't tell them Wednesday night. I was holding it for today. My theory is this. All these years, God's been waiting for us, this group, whose time is now, to step out on faith and say, okay, we're going to do this next project. And I really believe, by faith, that when we step out and do what God has called us to do, God's going to send a buyer for Raleigh Farm. Okay? You voted that. Number two, you voted to purchase the houses that are between us and harvest time. There's a creek that divides us. There's 18 houses through there. You voted to start buying those houses. And during that time, we have bought 11 houses. That's pretty cool. And then the third thing you voted to do in 2011 is to build a new worship center and parking lot. So we already voted to do it. We've just been dragging our feet. Thank you, Sherry. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to go into all that is played into that. But you know what? We have come to 2019, and it's time. It's time to stop talking about it and do it. You know why? Because we were put here for such a time as this. You were put here for such a time as that. I think God's just kind of been waiting to get this group of people together because he knew this group could do it. And here's what I told the people Wednesday night. Everybody look at me. It's our turn. It's our turn. It was their turn in 63, in 71, in 75. It was their turn in 83, 93, 98, 2019. It's our turn. It's our turn. And so Wednesday night, we reaffirmed it's our turn. And we're going to do it. You say, well, what are we going to do? I want to throw it up on the screen really quick. Uh, we're going to build our new building, all right? Here's, here's our current building right here. It's where we are. Here's the first gym, here's our educational building, and here's Brother Johnny's gym. I'll do it over here where you can see. Here's where you are in the gym, here's our, our in sanctuary, our old gym, Brother Johnny's gym, and our uh, office building. What we're going to build is this new worship center. It's going to include we worship and a sanctuary. There it is right there. All of this property between us and harvest time is going to turn into our new parking lot. All right? Next picture is going to show the insides of this building. And here's what I'm excited about. First thing I want to talk about is our We Worship area. All right? Secure area for our little kids to learn about Jesus. Let me show you on both sides. You go in from either the east or the west, big huge doors into this lobby, and the check-in station for We Worship is right there. On this map, here it is right here. Check-in for we, we Worship. You'll bring your little kids in, check them in, and they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven classes that you can take We Worship kids into, all right? Or you can take them straight down the hall into Brother Johnny's gym. And it's secure. One way in, one way out. So you drop them off and you don't have to worry about them. They're going to be secure. They're going to be taken care of. Let me back up. We, I know they're going to be safe because, you know, we got a great security team here, don't we? Don't you love our security? And they're going to have a brand new office. It's going to be like right there, security team office, right there, guys. 
That's where you get to hang out. You go in these big entryways on either side from a covered drop-off area on both sides. Let's hear it for the covered drop-off area on both sides. You go into a huge lobby. This lobby is going to be about 45 feet wide and 120 feet long. 45 feet wide, 120 feet long. That is massive. That's big enough we can have a church dance in. But we don't dance, so we'll do other things. We'll have Bible studies in there, all right? Ladies, let me point this out to you. There's, there's your bathroom right there, ladies. No, listen. Seven stalls, seven sinks. You might be saying, well, preacher, why in the world are you saying that publicly? Well, let me tell you, I hear it every week. Our bathroom's not big enough. Our bathroom's not big enough. So you're going to have a huge bathroom. Here's our new worship center. It's going to seat a little less than 1,000 people, maybe 950 people. It's going to be awesome, state-of-the-art, new lighting, new sound, huge stage up here. I can run around on or Nathan can run around on and we can have all kinds of great things in the back, storage and green rooms. It's just going to be an awesome building. Again, it's 120 feet wide and it's going to be 187 feet long. It's 21,800 square feet. Awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I can't wait. And the ball's already rolling. And we're going. You know why? It's our turn. We are here for such a time as this. You are here for such a time as this. And it's our turn. So, church. Let's step up to the plate, let's get a big bat, and let's hit a home run.